morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. It's good to see you all. Um, Peter, you should really, that whole, that, that was a surprise attack there, getting my husband to pray for me right in the beginning of the, of the service threw me off there. <laughs> um, but it's good to see you guys this morning. We have officially entered the Christmas season. Yeah, some of you are happy. There you go. I'm one of those people that don't talk to me about Christmas in November, much less in October. I'm happy to talk about Christmas in December, but before then, I'm not into it. But we enter December. I know that the church doesn't look like Christmas yet. We will get our decorations up. Don't worry. Yesterday, we got our decorations up in our house. We set up the Christmas tree. I was very emphatic that I wanted to wait for Jade to wake up from her nap so she would put up the Christmas tree with us. She's 17 months. And I was all excited that we were going to set up the Christmas tree. Well, she was not interested. <laughs> she, I think I was like, come on, keep putting the Christmas tree. She's like, can I go watch TV now? <laughs> um, but who's put up their Christmas tree? Wow. Very few of you have put up your Christmas tree. Any decorations at home at all? Some of you, okay. Well, you guys, your homework for today is go out and buy yourself some Christmas decorations this week and decorate your home. It's Christmas, and I don't know about you, but I always feel like we hype it up so much. We hype up Christmas Day so much, but when the day actually comes, it, it kind of just flies by, and you find yourself, at least I find myself, asking the question, is that, is that it? <laughs> Since October, we've been talking about this day, and now I've eaten my 25 chocolates off my calendar, which I still need to get, actually. Um, I've eaten the food, I've taken the family photos, I've put up the decorations, and that's it. <laughs> I always feel like it's kind of anticlimactic every year, but it's Christmas. And, and perhaps it's only when the years go by and it's only when time goes by that your Christmas memories get sweeter with time. And I don't know, I'm sure that you will have your own Christmas memories and I would love to hear about them, but I grew up in a Christian family, and so we always celebrated Christmas, and we had all these kinds of traditions, and I'll always remember the Christmas where I got my first house key in the Christmas stocking. I was old enough, I was responsible enough to have a key to the house. Who does Christmas stockings here? My Americans there, <laughs> Prana, <laughs> some of you do. In our family, it's a big tradition to do Christmas stockings. Now my mom was saying under the tree, there's like 14 or 16 Christmas stockings with all the grandchildren involved now. I remember the Christmas that I spent um, curling. Who knows what curling is? Some of you, some of you know what curling is. It's that strange Olympic sport where you kind of slide these things and the others are kind of just sweeping the ice. So one day, at one Christmas, it was really random, and that's what I spent Christmas doing, playing curling for the first time. Um, I remember the Christmas where Zeke and David, my oldest nephews, they were around for the first time. My sisters both had children, and so it was the first time we had kind of young kids at Christmas, other than myself being the youngest in the family. <laughs> but it was, I remember these Christmases, and they're sweet. But we can agree that there is a sense of expectation every year as December comes around. There's an anticipation in the air. There's, there's this inexplicable joy. It's the first of December. We just feel joy for some reason. There's all kinds of preparations and traditions and you're expecting a memorable time with your loved ones and with your family. 
You're looking forward to moments that will somehow bring you happiness. And perhaps it wasn't the best year, but Christmas. Christmas is surely going to make it better. When we step into December, we somehow step into a time of hope. And whether the world accepts it or not, and whether people admit it or not, we step into a time of hope because it is a season where we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. It is the most hopeful event that ever happened in the history of mankind. Jesus Christ is our hope. We read in John chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ is life. He's our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the hope that we have in a God who loved us so much that he would send his only son to make a way for us. Now, we started this message series. We're still in this message series called Face to Face. Today's the last message of this series But we started with, um, it's all about encounters between people and Jesus Christ. And we started with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader. And he wanted to know, what does it mean? What does all this mean? I, I know, Jesus, that there's something special about you, but who are you really? And we have this conversation between Jesus and this religious leader. And then we went on to the Samaritan woman, an adulteress, and, and, and somebody who had sinned. And, and, and Jesus makes time for her. And then we went on to Peter. A guy who was so committed to Jesus, but he messes up. And he messes up big. And we see the conversation that Jesus has with Peter afterwards. And last week, Reuben spoke about Zacchaeus. A guy who was corrupt, who cheated people, who was a tax collector. And yet Jesus notices him and makes time for him. And in the past few weeks, in all these encounters that we've had between Jesus and all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, we have only seen a Jesus who is extremely compassionate, understanding, comprehensive, patient, merciful, We have seen a new side or or new sides to Jesus that maybe you didn't know before. And we've explored the heart of Jesus who makes time for people and who loves us so unconditionally. And today I want to, I want to finish off the face to face message series, but also with a hint of Christmas. And so we're going to talk about an encounter. And I have to be honest that uh, I, I struggled with this message this week. Because I felt God leading me to a face-to-face encounter that is somewhat unconventional. It's not really one encounter per se. It's a relationship where there's a series of exchanges. And, and though we focused mainly on Jesus' response in the past few weeks to these encounters, today I want to focus on the follower's heart and attitude and response. Today we're not talking about someone who didn't know Jesus. We're talking about someone who was born to love Jesus and prepare a way for him. So I'm going to cut the suspense. We're talking about John the Baptist today. Have you, how many of you have heard a message about John the Baptist? A few of you. Now, I haven't heard too many messages about John the Baptist. What we tend to hear is that he was a pretty weird guy. <laughs> he dressed really weird. He ate funny, had a, not a paleo diet, not a vegan diet. It was a whole thing on its own. You don't see people following his kind of diet. But we hear that he was pretty strange. And I, I guess you can call John 
a public speaker. The Bible says that he went out and he spoke to thousands of people. And because he spoke to so many people and he preached, he got a lot of attention. We read in Matthew chapter 3, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. But John wasn't your typical megachurch preacher. <laughs> he wasn't your typical megachurch pastor with the suit and tie, with the hair on point, with the three to four bodyguards. Maybe you've seen them, maybe you haven't. Just this past week, I watched a video about this. I think it was some pastor in Nigeria or some northern African country. And the video is basically this mega church pastor you can see he's kind of wealthy and he's stepping out of a very expensive car and basically the the video is him stepping out of the car and thousands of people in his church just laying down cloth and blankets and towels because god forbid this man touches the ground and dirties his shoes is the most ridiculous thing ever but john wasn't anything like that john wasn't um he wasn't uh uh a prosperity gospel preacher either, preaching to people, trying to get money out of them to fund his private jets. That's not what John was like. He wasn't your modern, cool pastor influencer that you see constantly taking photos of himself in the gym and, and maybe posting photos of his picture-perfect family with his newest ripped jeans. That wasn't John either. John was just a guy who loved Jesus so much and had to tell people of their need for him. John was a guy who dedicated his whole life to telling people the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. No matter what the cost was to his name, to his fame, or to his reputation. There's something so beautiful about John and the way that he related to Jesus. When John encounters Jesus, or the multiple times that he encounters Jesus, it's not just his attitude and his posture towards Jesus that I find so beautiful and that I want us to look into today and to learn from, but it's also the theological depth of each moment, of each encounter with Jesus. Now, before we get into the encounters, I want to give you a quick, and I'm going to try my best to do this quickly, <laughs> I want to give you a quick Old Testament recap. I'm going to go through the Old Testament as quickly as I can. I'm going to skip through it. Um, and so if you're not familiar with the references that I'm going to make, then please just note down the verses and have a fuller read later of the context. But I need to give you a quick recap because the Old Testament is like the longest month of December ever. <laughs> There's this expectation in the air. There's this waiting. Something, something big is about to happen. There's a hope for something. There's a hope for someone. People are living in a hurting world and they've been promised a savior. They've been promised a prince of peace, a counselor, and they are living with expectation. And it all starts in Genesis. Ready? Here we go. In Genesis, God creates the world and everything is perfect. God is good. His essence is good. His essence is perfection. And he creates all of creation. And then he creates Adam and Eve. That he might have a beautiful and perfect relationship with mankind. But for love to be true, as I've said before, love has to be free. And so he says, you can have all of this. You can enjoy all of this. You can have relationship with me. But just don't eat of that tree or you will die. What does he mean by death? 
Death means separation from God. We read in John chapter 1 that Jesus is life. And so anything apart from, anything outside of God is death. And so God says, don't eat of that tree or you will die. But then we read in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent, Satan, goes to Eve and he says, is that what God really said? Satan does that to us all the time. Is that, is that what God really wanted for you? Is that really the way that you want to live your life? Why don't you do it your way? Why don't you be who you want to be? Why don't you follow your own will? And so we read that Eve sinned, she eats of this fruit, and then Adam does too, and God has to enact his perfect judgment, perfect justice. And as he is, as he is enacting, as he is saying his, and, and, and telling his perfect judgment, this is what he says to the serpent. And right here we see right as God starts telling what is going to happen and, and, says, and, and fulfills what he had said that there has to be death, God promises a Savior right here, right now, right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. This is what he says to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's the first promise of Jesus that we ever read in the Bible, and I know that it sounds a little bit weird. <laughs> and there's definitely a lot of symbolic language here, but there's also very clear points. It's a clear, as God says, that there would be a permanent hostility between Satan and humankind, but that the power of Satan would eventually be overcome by a human being, the offspring of a woman. And that in the process of destroying the power of Satan, that the Savior would be hurt, would have to suffer. In crushing Satan's head, he says that Satan would strike his heel. It's a reference to the cross. Now, I don't just get that by reading these two sentences. You have to see the bigger context. But it's beautiful that right in Genesis chapter 3, there is a reference to the cross, which only happens thousands of years later. And then we read that the Savior would be the offspring of a woman. Now, this is somewhat unusual. Why was the, com why was the coming Savior not called the offspring of the male? Most, most races, they trace the lines of inheritance through the male. But to answer this question, we have to leap thousands of years to Isaiah. And we read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Here we read a prophecy of a woman named Mary who would be a virgin and from her womb, in a miraculous way, she would give birth to the Savior, the one who would crush the head of Satan and, be, and his, his heel would be struck. He would go to the cross and he would provide a way. Now, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies of Jesus, the Messiah, and everything surrounding his coming. We read in Genesis chapter 12 that the Messiah would come from the lineage of Abraham. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says Messiah would be heir to King David's throne. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read that the Messiah's throne would be anointed and eternal. It says of the greatness of his government in peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we understand just by skimming through the Old Testament that it is constantly pointing to a savior. The Old Testament is a story of sin, of sacrifice, and of salvation. 
We read stories of God's people in the Old Testament and, and we see what they do to each other and to surrounding nations. We see what they do to themselves. There is hate and there's war and there's violence and there's sexual immorality and there's idolatry. Really, it's much like today, except in that time, they were still waiting for a promise they hadn't yet received. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so 39 books later, we get to the New Testament. And the New Testament begins with four Gospels. What are the four Gospels? Well, really the Gospel, the word Gospel means good news. The Gospels are four books that narrate the life of Jesus Christ. And they're telling us who is Jesus. They're telling us not only the historical chronicle of his life, but they're saying this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the guy. They're connecting him to all of the prophecies in the Old Testament, saying this is the one that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and in, in Genesis chapter 12 and in Isaiah chapter 7. This is the one that we've been waiting for. He is the Savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything we've been waiting for. And I'm telling you all this so that we'll understand the depth of the encounter between John and Jesus. See, John was a miracle baby too. Not like Jesus. He was not born of a virgin. But the Bible says that his dad, Zechariah, was a priest and his mom, Elizabeth, they were good people. Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were nice people in their village, but they couldn't conceive. They couldn't have children. And at this time that we're reading the story in Luke chapter 1, where we read of John's birth, um, they were older, and so now they definitely had no hope of becoming parents. But the Bible says that one day Zechariah entered the temple, and he was just doing one of his normal days, going into the temple, and an angel appears to him, Angel Gabriel, the same one that appears later to Mary. And this is what he tells Zechariah. When Elizabeth... Oh, sorry. He says, don't... Oh, man. Where am I? There. <laughs> the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will have a son, and you will name him John. He will be your pride and joy, and many people will be glad that he was born. As far as the Lord is concerned, he will be a great man. He will never drink wine or any other liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring many people in Israel back to the Lord their God. He will go ahead of the Lord with the spirit and power that Elijah had. He will change parents' attitudes towards their children. He will change disobedient people so that they will accept the wisdom of those who have God's approval. In this way, he will prepare the people for their Lord. God had something so special in mind for John. Can you just imagine if you were Zechariah and, and an angel is telling you, of the destiny of your son, the calling that he has on your life. Later on, Zechariah, when John is born, Zechariah does, says a prayer over his son, and it's one of the most beautiful prayers. And if you would have been familiar with the Old Testament prophecies, what the angel is telling, telling Zechariah would start to sound a little bit familiar with Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, where there's a prophecy of John, in fact. It says, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare a way before me. And by God's grace, we, we, we read that soon after that episode, Elizabeth does become pregnant. And just a few verses later, actually six months later, the Bible tells us the angel Gabriel meets Mary. 
And this is what he tells her. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and name him Jesus. He will be a great man and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor. Your son will be a king of Jacob's people forever, and his kingdom will never end. So on the one hand, you have a messenger, one who will come and prepare the way, one who will turn people's hearts towards the Messiah. And on the other hand, you have the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of the Most High, the Savior. And so we get to the first encounter between John and Jesus. It's quite an unconventional encounter, I need to warn you. (laughs) But still in Luke chapter 1, the Bible says that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. They were somehow related, and so she goes to visit possibly her cousin. And when Mary arrives, something quite special happens. This is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. The first person to ever worship Jesus was a fetus, an unborn baby. I find that incredible, and I find it powerful. In a time where no one knew of Mary's pregnancy, no one knew what was going on, yet the Bible says that John leaped in the womb of his mother and and she was filled with the Holy Spirit and knew at that moment that Mary wasn't pregnant with just some ordinary child. She was pregnant with the Son of God, the Savior we had been waiting for. And her unborn baby celebrated. Now I know that this might sound a little mystical to you, and maybe somehow unreal. But if we're gonna worship a supernatural God, if we're gonna believe that God is supernatural and that he exists, we have to understand supernatural doesn't mean superhuman. It doesn't mean like a better version of you and I. Supernatural means outside of any box that you and I can make for God. And if we're gonna believe that he exists, then we're gonna have to accept that the biblical narrative can be both mystical and true at the same time. John celebrated as he encountered Jesus for the first time. John was born to point people to Jesus, and in his first encounter, he experiences joy. What an emotion this is, joy. We all long for joy. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the joy of our salvation. When the angel of God was announcing to the shepherds that Jesus was going to be born, this is what he says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Joy because it's Jesus. The long-awaited Savior. Joy because it's salvation for all people. It's salvation for Peter who messed up. It's salvation for Zacchaeus, who was corrupt and sinful. It's salvation for the religious leader who thought he was doing everything right. It's salvation for you and I. There is joy because it's salvation for all. Joy because it's a God who made a way for us. Joy because he's a Savior who doesn't give up on us. Joy because this life isn't it. There is so much more. There is purpose and there is meaning. There is joy in Jesus Christ. It's a kind of joy 
that isn't there until you encounter Jesus. And it's the kind of joy that when you do, it lasts forever, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the trials, regardless of the struggles. It's a joy that's not conditioned to circumstance. Joy. Jesus is the joy of our salvation. And as John grew up, it was this joy that moved him to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, we don't really know how much time goes by until John actually starts telling people about Jesus. But in the Gospels, we read that, that the religious leaders at some point when he was preaching to all these people, he catches the attention of the religious leaders and they start asking themselves, who's this guy, John the Baptist? And so they send some people and they say, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you uh, a prophet? And to all these questions, we start seeing the heart of John. To all these questions, he, he tells them, no, I'm none of those things. I'm just a guy. And then he says in John chapter 1, he says, I'm a voice calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, which is a reference to a prophecy back in Isaiah. John is always pointing at Jesus Christ. That's what he was born to do. And he goes further and he says, not only am I not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not a prophet. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the Messiah, him who is greater than me. And we start seeing the humility of John's heart. This is a guy who had a lot of attention. This is a guy who preached and baptized thousands of people. And when people start questioning, well, who are you? Trying to put a title on him, trying to put a label on him. He says, look, I'm nothing, but I know someone who is everything. You see, I think that John wasn't just preaching about the Messiah to the world because he had to or because he knew that, that the Messiah was good for people. I think that John knew of his own very personal need for a savior. And I believe that it was this very real and intimate understanding that positioned him so humbly before Jesus. In all of these face-to-face -face encounters, this is what we've been talking about, our need for Jesus Christ our need for his hope, our need for his healing, our need for his salvation, our need for his love. People say, well, Jesus maybe is your crutch. Man, Jesus is my everything. He's more than my crutch. He's my arms and legs. He's my everything. And I think John understood this very real need that he had for a savior. And this is what propelled him to speak about him. See, John isn't just telling people of some persuasive argument of theology. John is constantly telling people of a person. Even in Jesus' life, when Jesus encounters people, he doesn't present them with philosophy. To the biggest questions that humankind may have, he doesn't present philosophy or ethics or some kind of theory. Jesus constantly just presents himself. To all the questions that you may have, Jesus doesn't just have the answers. Jesus is the answer. He doesn't say, I have the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. He doesn't say, I know the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So John, he points to Jesus. He says, look, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. 
There's this humility and encounter with Jesus. It not only brings us joy and fills our life with joy, but it positions our hearts with this humility because we understand our need of a savior, a savior who's not some theology, but he's a person who loves you and who is love. Jesus isn't just some option amongst others of how to live a nicer life. Jesus is everything. He is our lifeline. We need Jesus. And I think John had this such a deep understanding of how much he needed him. We need him because he is the truth. And there is no other truth. We need him because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need him because we all sin and we fall short of the glory of God, and we need his forgiveness. We need the peace of God, which transcends all understanding and will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Jesus Christ. We need him because he gives us meaning and purpose. We need him because he is the hope to this hurting world that is so messed up. We need Jesus because he is our strength. And we can overcome all things and do all things through the strength that Christ gives us. Man, we need Jesus. When people kept wanting to bring the attention to John, he was emphatic on pointing them back to Jesus. He was just a messenger, but Jesus was the message. I see so many pastors and worship leaders and Christian leaders in general dwell in the attention. I know this is a little bit maybe challenging to say, but it's the truth. I see so many Christian leaders dwell in the attention with, with the book releases and the social media and the thousands of followers and the photo shoots and looking picture perfect all the time and, and enjoying the attention of the followers when they've been called to be the messengers, not the message. And I think that in their thinking, they're thinking, well, the more famous that I get as a consequence, Jesus will get famous too. And yet with John, we have an example of something so different. In fact, when John's popularity is put into question, his disciples literally go to John and say, hey, John, like people were coming to you, but now this Jesus guy is around and people are starting to come to him. And this is how John responds, with joy. <laughs> he couldn't be happier. He says, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. Look to Jesus. I may have the message. I may, I may tell you about him, but really everything you need is found in him. Don't look to me. Jesus is the message. This Christmas we celebrate Jesus because he is the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. He is our everything. He's our healer, our counselor. He's our guide. He's our wisdom. He's our strength. He's our strong foundation. Jesus is our everything. And I want to tell you this morning that the reason why I preach the gospel, the reason why I stand up here, the reason why we pastor is first and foremost because I understand my own need for a savior. 
I understand how much I need Jesus and how I've encountered him and he has been my everything ever since. I relate to Paul when Paul writes in Romans, I think. He says, I don't even understand what I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do are the things that I hate. We all fall so short and it is from this understanding I fall short and I'm going to fail you. But let me point you to someone who won't. Let me point you to someone who's going to be there for you no matter what, who will never forsake you, who will never fail you, who will never disappoint you. Look to Jesus. And may we do that this Christmas. I know that maybe it's the cheesy thing to say, but it's the best gift that we can give people. People who are hurting now. People who need hope now. People who don't understand what's going on. Heck, I don't understand what's going on. But I trust a God who does. I trust a God who has the bigger picture. I trust a God who knows what's best and his ways are higher than my ways and he is my hope. And even in these times, in the midst of a global pandemic, I can have peace and I can have joy, even in the trials. This Christmas, may we have this attitude of joy and of humility before a God who is so good. Let's point people to Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We've gone through all kinds of encounters in the past few weeks. And perhaps in these different messages, you have seen and learned more about Jesus and the heart that he has for you. But today, as I conclude this series and as we step into a time of Christmas, I just want to keep pointing us to Jesus. I just want to look to him. He's all we need. He's all we've been waiting for. There's no disappointment in him. He is the salvation. He's the one who, who makes us right with God again. He's the one that God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that would reconcile us and restore our relationship with a God who is supernatural and a God who is love. Why did it have to be on the cross? Ultimately, I don't know. I know that there had to be perfect justice. And if you would have asked me to, to figure out a way to reconcile us to God, maybe I wouldn't have chosen it that way. And I'm sure you wouldn't either. But I'm sure that it wouldn't have been perfect justice. And so I trust God and I thank God that he sent his son and that because of him, we can have life and life abundant. He is the air we breathe. He's the reason why you got out of bed this morning. And he's the reason why you can have purpose and meaning in your every day. There is so much more to life. And we find it all in Jesus Christ. He's the one that the Old Testament prophesied about. And Jesus is the one that the New Testament witnessed about. Let's worship this morning, and I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's worship him in humility. I, find, I found it so cool as I was finishing this message yesterday, and Pedro um, sent out the set list at the beginning of the week to the worship team, and he said, guys, this week, I just the songs are all about Jesus, and I just want to focus on Jesus, and I just want to worship him. And that's exactly what this message is about. I don't want to look at myself. I don't want you to look at me. I don't even want you to look at you. I want you to look at Jesus. 
Let's just worship Him. Let's just praise Him. Let's just say holy. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is holy. And we will be able to do nothing except say you are holy, holy, holy. His presence. And one day we will stand in His presence face to face. And we will sing holy. And today we might not be face to face, but His presence is here. And the Bible says that He stands at the door of your heart and He knocks. For love to be true, it has to be free. He's asking you, will you let me in because I am the joy of your salvation. Let's praise Him this morning. And as you look to Him, He is the answer. He's everything you've looked for. He's everything you need. He's everything you dream. Trust Him, because His ways are higher. And He works all things for the good. Let's worship Him this morning.